0: Coding boot camps allow anyone to become a programmer at a faster pace than the traditional computer science education system. In the last five years, coding boot camps have grown rapidly in popularity, with thousands of people gaining the necessary skills to work as a software engineer. Career Karma is a platform that allows individuals to find the best coding boot camp. There are many coding boot camps, and they are not all the same. Much like different schools have different cultures and focus on different disciplines, coding bootcamps vary widely in the teaching styles and acceptance path. Ruben Harris and Arthur Meister are co-founders of Career Karma, and they join the show to discuss the changing nature of software engineering education and the frictions that new programmers encounter as they navigate the world of coding bootcamps. They also describe their journey to entrepreneurship and their own personal experience with coding boot bootcamps. FindCollabs is the company I'm working on. It's a place to find collaborators and build projects. We recently launched GitHub integrations, so it's easier than ever to find collaborators for your open source projects. And if you're looking for someone to start a company with, or a project, FindCollabs has topic rooms that allow you to find other people who are interested in a particular technology. So you can find people who are curious about React or cryptocurrencies or Kubernetes, whatever you want to build with. Also, if you're looking to start a podcast, Podsheets is an open-source podcast hosting platform that we recently launched. We're building Podsheets with the learnings from Software Engineering Daily, and our goal is to be the best place to host and monetize your podcast. If you've been thinking about starting a podcast, check out Podsheets.com. You probably do not enjoy searching for a job. Engineers don't like sacrificing their time to do phone screens, and we don't like doing whiteboard problems and working on tedious take-home projects. Everyone knows the software hiring process is not perfect. But what's the alternative? TripleByte is the alternative. TripleByte is a platform for finding a great software job faster. TripleByte works with 400-plus tech companies, including Dropbox, Adobe, Coursera, and Cruise Automation. TripleByte improves the hiring process by saving you time and fast-tracking you to final interviews. At triplebyte.com/se daily, you can start your process by taking a quiz. And after the quiz, you get interviewed by TripleByte if you pass that quiz. And if you pass that interview, you make it straight to multiple on-site interviews. And if you take a job, you get an additional $1,000 signing bonus from TripleByte because you use the link triplebyte.com/se daily. That $1,000 is nice, but you might be making much more since those multiple on-site interviews would put you in a great position to potentially get multiple offers And then you could figure out what your salary actually should be. TripleByte does not look at candidates' backgrounds, like resumes and where they've worked and where they went to school. TripleByte only cares about whether someone can code. So I'm a huge fan of that aspect of their model. This means that they work with lots of people from non-traditional and unusual backgrounds. To get started just go to triplebyte.com/sedaily and take a quiz to get started. There's very little risk and you might find yourself in a great position getting multiple on-site interviews from just one quiz and a Triplebyte interview. go to triplebyte.com/sedaily to try it out. Thank you to Triplebyte. Ruben and Arthur, welcome to Software Engineering Daily once again.
1: Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: We're sitting in front of the fireplace on a warm June afternoon (laughs) in the middle of San Francisco. The fireplace is roaring. (laughs) (laughs) You guys are the founders of Career Karma. We're going to talk about Career Karma eventually. In order to talk about Career Karma, we need to talk about boot camps. Yeah. Give me the strongest cases for and against coding boot camps.
1: I think Archer would be a good. Since Archer went to like Hack Reactor and his twin brother, who's not here, Timur, mm-hmm. um, did App Academy in the beginning of the boot camp industry. Yeah. Why don't you give the
0: case bit. against boot camps first? Yeah. Well, explain what a bootcamp
1: uh, is
2: yeah, first. Maybe please. I should explain what a bootcamp is for people that are now. Sure, why not? So, when I was getting into the bootcamp industry like back in 2014, when I was just learning to code, bootcamps was basically like a way for me to Change jobs. And in three months, I went from doing some code academy, like HTML, CSS, to going to coding interviews, like going to on sites, and then eventually getting a job in tech, getting paid over six figures. That's usually not the outcome for everyone. But for me, because I was extremely determined, it worked out pretty well for me. And now, like four or five years later, I have my own company. We just finished by Combinator, which has uh, been a crazy experience that we could talk about. But I think the case for boot camps is that pretty much you could reinvent yourself midlife And I think that's a big thing that people miss when they Talk about comparison: college versus boot camps. A lot of them assume that this is like a battle for 18-year-olds who are deciding between getting a degree or not. I see boot camps kind of like as a second chance for a lot of people who feel stuck in their careers and who realize that there's so many opportunities that I'm being kept away from. And f- at least for myself, this was just another chance. Said getting a skill set that I could apply and build my own companies. I think the case against boot camps is that it's pretty, like, I think the concept is easy to understand. In three months you get a new skill set, but there's so many formats, there's so much information about that you need to learn, there's so many programs that make crazy claims, and you can't assume that one school that has been around for five years is gonna produce the same result that another school that maybe has only been around for two or three years And essentially like the outcomes, there's so much variety in outcomes and it's really up to the individual, less so about the school that it's very hard, at least at this point in 2019, to determine what is the best school for me because there are just so many factors that go into it and a lot of folks rush into it, picking something that, clicking on an ad they see on Facebook, and then they spend six months getting a subpar degree, and then when they hit the job search, all of a sudden they realize, holy crap, I'm not where I need to be, and then a lot of them kind of get this reality, a wake-up call, and then they start blaming the boot camps for failing them, when in reality, like they should have done a little bit more research when they were considering which school to attend.
1: Yeah, for the people that don't know, what a coding bootcamp is, it essentially teaches people how to become software engineers in about three to 12 months, depending on which pace that you choose. And vocational school has been around since the industrial revolution. And automation is something that has persisted over time. Um, so we don't see education going away, whether it's vocational or college or, or online courses. Uh, we see it adapting to the needs of the workforce. And what's interesting about bootcamps is that they measure themselves on you getting a job, which is very different than traditional schools or even MOOCs. MOOCs and traditional schools measure themselves off of you completing it and getting a, a certificate that is supposed to be able to get you a job, but we've seen that that is not always the case. I think that when I think about the against case about boot camps is because people are seeing that this thing is very effective and they're selling people an opportunity to reinvent themselves, Some schools claim that they can get you a job and they will charge you up front and charge you a loan. And if you don't get a job, then you get a bad experience and you start talking down about these vocational schools. That's why understanding the data, understanding the outcomes is very important. But um, boot camps on the flip side have also become the first educational institution to take income share agreements at scale, which means that anybody can pursue a a degree, a skill set, without having to go into debt. And if you do get that job, that's the only time that you would have to pay. And we could talk a little bit more about it, but essentially, um the incentives need to be aligned.
0: Before we get into a discussion of those different mechanisms for paying for your boot camp, let's just talk about the outcome. Let's assume I can pay for my boot camp and I can choose between the different boot camps that I go to, even if I manage to dodge the scammers who have low quality boot camps, I may still go to a top quality boot camp and not find a job afterwards. I may still have a bad outcome. There is still a variable set of outcomes that people have after a boot camp. What's the cause of all that variance?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it's a little bit about what Well Archer brought up? And it's even similar to like any educational institution. I think a lot of people overemphasize, they think that the the school is the silver bullet that's going to get you the job, but the school is actually teaching you a skill set and giving you the concepts that you need in order to get a job. And even though that they have coaching and things like that, the skill set to get a job is very different than the skill set to learn how to code. Triple Byte has some pretty good data about this where like, I think 50% of of engineering interviews fail for non-technical reasons. So a lot of people don't know how to tell their story. A lot of people don't understand the concepts that are necessary in order to reach out to different people and network and go to meetups and things like that. But I think in general, a lot of schools aren't good at the job search. They're really good at teaching skills that are needed in the workforce. But there's a lot of other things that are necessary to understand outside of soft skills like maybe some more work on their project in the open source community or w- with what you're working on with fine collabs, or maybe it's doing a little bit more on leak code or code wars to get that supplemental information. But a lot of people just don't have that experience. And that's something that, that exists with college itself. Like the job search in general um, is not really good. And you can see that with career counseling in general. And especially if you come from a non traditional background without a degree, the biggest struggle that you're going to face, even if you have the skills, is actually getting the shot to prove that you have the skill. And so understanding how to get the shot is what most people don't know how to do that we've been able to figure out through our own experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: and I think the other big factor that, at least when I was doing the job search after the bootcamp, is just the imposter syndrome, like the self-doubt you feel every time you have an interview, you feel like you're tricking the interviewer to believe that you have the skills. And it's obviously like psychology plays an enormous thing in a lot of the things we do, but especially when three months ago or six months ago, you were doing, maybe you were a consultant or a bus driver, and now you're sitting in front of an engineer at a tech company who's asking you like binary tree questions. And you're like, what am I doing here? Right. And, I think that managing your psychology is extremely difficult for, like, for in regular circumstances, but especially in technical interviews, you feel underprepared. And boot camps do a fair job teaching you the skills, but it's very hard to teach someone how how to be confident or how to overcome those like self doubts and. That's actually like one of the top reasons why we see people give up because it's not that they went to like 20 or 30 interviews and they failed every single onsite. Most of the cases, they will go to one or two interviews and then they start telling themselves, oh, I'm not ready yet. So I'm going to take three more months to go back and redo my JavaScript tutorials. And then three months later, they try to interview again and they get rejected again. And then they tell themselves, I'm not good enough. Right. So Most of the people that don't end up getting jobs uh, just end up giving up and never really, truly giving this, never truly showing what they could do.
1: Talking a little bit more about psychology, right? Let's use another assumption, right? Let's assume that this person that graduated boot camp is actually really competent, is actually really skilled, and they know how to pass all the technicals. What a lot of people miss is that a company only hires a certain amount of people, and if you have the skill set to be on the team, that's just one part of the requirement. They want to like you. They want to be able to work well with you. That chemistry is important. It's like if you're in the NBA, everybody can play basketball. Everybody can make a layup. Everybody can shoot points. But, like, why would somebody want you on their team, right? It's the way that you all work together. It's the chemistry. It's like do they like you? Do I want to work long hours with this person? I, I met Archer a long time ago in banking. And we work for hundreds of hours a week. And now we've we've been around for each other for seven years. I guess we like each other, right? That's a big factor, right? So I think think a lot of people miss that.
0: You guys have been on a business journey since we last spoke. The last time we talked was about your podcast Breaking into Startups, Mm -hmm. which is still going. Yeah. Yeah, over 100 episodes. I'm glad to see that... All three of you at this point, I believe, have left the jobs that you were working at, the companies that you were working at. Did you guys make the leap to leave the companies that you were working at? Was that before or after you had your current business idea all figured out?
1: It was a sequence of different events. When we met, we knew we wanted to start something, but we didn't know what we wanted to start. We had ideas, but we knew we needed to get skills. And what we realized is that most companies fail and we need to get skills. And software engineering is one of them. Like technical skills are one thing. Learning how to sell and distribute things is another thing. But we also realized that after we discovered what coding boot camps were, most people don't even know coding boot camps exist. The majority of people in coding boot camps actually have bachelor's degrees. Like 70% of them have bachelor's degrees. And media it's important to make sure that people are aware of these things. Podcasts are helpful, but even podcasts are still only listened to by more affluent people that have high degrees. Radio is really powerful. If radios are going to start you know, t- take being taken over by podcasts and Bluetooth and electric cars with like what Tesla's doing with automation and all this whole driverless car movement with Cruise and Uber and Lyft or whatever, Waymo, then podcast is probably going to be a good medium to reach a lot of people. Video is going to be a good medium to reach a lot of people. That's why we have like video being recorded right now. And so we knew that in order for us to, we actually noticed that in order for us to learn more about how to get into tech, we needed to talk to other people that can teach us how to get to where we wanted to go. So even in Atlanta, we would always be meeting up with people asking for advice. And after we got our first job in tech, I was at all school Arthur was at funding circle. Timo was at blipper and auto trader before that. We noticed that tech media only covers CEOs and VCs and people with pedigree, but the people actually building the company never got covered. So we're like, oh, well, like, let's feature their stories because that's going to be what resonates with the average person. And so after we started talking to them and sharing their stories, then we started sharing the stories of the schools that they went to that weren't college to understand how they were teaching, and then one thing led to another to the point where we started understanding the problems of the schools and their financial issues and how we can help them, and then iterated on a business model, and then we started getting some payments while we were working in jobs, and then eventually um, we were like, oh, this helps a certain segment, but we could help all these other people. Why don't we productize this experience and turn it into this big juggernaut because everybody's talking about the future of work, and that is what turned into Career Karma.
2: Yeah. And um, I think for us, our MVP, like for a lot of companies, MVP is actual product people build. For us, the MVP was actually our podcast because we validated that there was tons of demand, like single parents, people that have criminal records, athletes, veterans. There's so many folks out there who want to get better jobs and when they go to look online, they see all these like, you could become a software engineer, you, you could make six figures as a product manager, but there's no clear path of how to get there, right? A lot of people just disqualify themselves from these jobs because like, a lot of them just assume that you need to have a crazy pedigree to get that. And so the podcast was the first step to, to kind of like test out the waters to see if we were helping people understand the path into tech, would they be receptive to it? Would they get activated? Would they actually reach out to us to get advice? And we found that, in fact, like we're getting millions of people like listening to our podcast, emailing us, reaching out to us, asking what am I, what do I do next? And so, one step after another, we just discovered that hey, there's actually a huge need. And by that point, people started showing up. Yeah, people started showing up at our house. By that point, like Timur and I are both technical. We Timur went to App Academy. I did Hack Reactor. We've had really good software engineering jobs and experience, and we we're like, let's just build an, an app. And because of the bootcamp experience prior, we we're pretty well equ- equipped to build our MVP without having to raise capital or, I don't know, like just get uh, distracted by a lot of the things. We're just, hey, let's build a simple prototype to see if people will sign up. And the interesting thing is we quit our jobs, apply to Y Combinator, we got the interview to. This was last April, and uh, we went to, s- to speak with the partners, and we were like, "It's gonna be great! Like we're gonna explain our idea. They're gonna love us." And we got rejected the first time, and. At that point, we, were, we just left our jobs. We told our coworkers we're going to do this Y Combinator thing. And it was tough because we had to deal with, like, all of a sudden, we we're kind of on our own. Like, this, uh, what we were hoping for d- didn't happen. And we were faced with an option, like, do we go back to looking for jobs again? Or do we just take a bet and pursue this? And we ended up building, we, we ended up sticking with it. We continued building our uh, mobile apps. And six months later, we applied to Y Combinator again and got in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I I think like when you think about niches, right, you really want to think about what are you the best in the world to solve? Like are you like product market fit is one thing, but founder market fit is another. You know, what is something that you believe that very few people agree with you? Like what truth do you believe that very few people agree with you on and then match it up with what's currently happening in the world? Like, So we saw, you know, student loans are in the trillions. Clay Christensen predicting, you know, half of the US universities going away in the next five to 10 years, but then boot camps launching on colleges with Trilogy, and we're like, wow, like, everybody thinks this this boot camp thing is is hot. We know a lot about this, and there's really nobody in the world that knows more about the space than us. We've been in this game for a very long time, and we are the product ourselves because we've been through it. Let's go for it, and that's essentially what we did.
0: Cox Automotive is the technology company behind Kelly Blue Book, Autotrader.com, and many other car sales and information platforms. Cox Automotive transforms the way that the world buys, sells, and owns cars. They have the data and the user base to understand the future of car purchasing and ownership. Cox Automotive is looking for software engineers, data engineers, scrum masters, and a variety of other positions to help push the technology forward. If you want to innovate in the world of car buying, selling, and ownership, check out coxautotech.com That's C-O-X-A-U-T-O-T-E-C-H dot to find out more about career opportunities and what it's like working at Cox Automotive. Cox Automotive isn't a car company. They are a technology company that's transforming the automotive industry. Thanks to Cox Automotive, and if you want to support the show and check out the job opportunities at Cox Automotive, go to coxautotech.com. The product that you've built, Career Karma, solves, or seeks to solve, many of the problems that potential boot camp attendees, prospective boot camp attendees, and people who have made it further down the boot camp funnel, and I think beyond the boot camp as well, describe the gaps that you've identified in that end-to-end funnel, the from the, I'm a person who should be going to a boot camp, but I don't even know that a boot camp exists, all the way to the career progression of somebody who has exited a boot camp. What are the, maybe there's too much in there to explore, so maybe focus on the things that you think are the most acute problems that you've built into your
1: product. Yeah, so I think, you know, when someone Googles learn how to code, into Google, they're faced with a ton of options, let's say thousands if not millions of options about how to code. So the first issue that someone faces is they're really excited about coding but then they're faced with information overload, which can cause two things. It could cause imposter syndrome where you feel overwhelmed with everything. You're like, oh man, maybe this is not for me, I'm very confused. But then the other thing that you could be faced with is paralysis by analysis, right? So very simply, you know, Career Karma. The first thing that we help you do is we we match you with the right coding bootcamp that's best for you, based off of your goals and current challenges. Right. So once you have decided that you want to get into this program or these programs, you need to know how to get in. All right? So every school has a certain preparation period in order for you to get in. And essentially, it's the basics of coding we think about learning how to code kind of like learning a language and going to a coding boot camp, like moving to that country. And the prerequisites to get in is like learning the basics. So it's kind of like saying, hi and bye, where's the restroom and how to order food. So those basics are usually things called prep programs that the boot camps have. So when people are going through the 21-day challenge in our three-week process, they're going through that prep work. But while they're doing that, we also give them accountability buddies in the app as well. So every day they are messaging people that are at their level and one step above them because we realize the people that are best positioned to help them get accepted into the boot camp is someone that just got accepted versus someone that did it five years ago because the one that just got accepted has the most relevant information. Once that they are in, they are put into something that we call a squad. That is essentially accountability buddy, and they can decide who's inside of those squads. Usually it's five to 20 people, sometimes in the same boot camp, sometimes in other boot camps, so they could share curriculums. And, re- and the idea for the squad essentially just came from me, Archer, and Timor, and like the way that we held each other accountable, even though we were doing different things and had the same type of goal. And those people really helped with retention. And then when they get to the job search, they change their profile to in the job search. We connect them to people that are already employed because in order to get the shot, they can have people that can vouch for them to skip the normal recruiting process and then get all the way in. So once we perfect that chain through software engineering, we'll expand to other skill sets. And that's essentially what we do right now.
2: Yeah. And I think just to add to that, I think there's two things. And especially kind of like having gone through the process of learning to code, a lot of the resources out there are focused on the first maybe month of the journey. So there's tons of websites where you could learn basic HTML, CSS, JavaScript. Most of the curriculum online is geared towards the very, very basics. But then once you get to like an intermediate level, you all of a sudden feel lost because you don't really have that many options available. Like, even One of the options is, all right, now you just have to come up with a project in your head and go build it on your own, and when you get stuck, there's no tutorial or no instructor to help you, right? So that automatically like, probably eliminates half the people that get to intermediate level. The other people probably join, maybe they, they're avid bloggers or things like that. They join some sort of community, but because it's unstructured, there's just too much noise. So uh, someone might be saying, Oh, like you should learn Python, and you just you should learn these frameworks, and then someone else gives you completely opposite advice. And what you I'm doing is just kind of like a boat going from like one island to another, not really uh, like knowing what that roadmap is gonna look like. And we see a lot of folks in like tutorial purgatories where they've been doing one JavaScript tutorial after another. They're like, "Oh, Udemy is having another sale. I could get this $100 course for $2. So I'm just gonna sign up and do this like JavaScript fundamental." again, and then they finish it and they're like, all right, now I'm going to try to build this on my own. And then they, as soon as they start want to build something themselves, they get stuck and they can't do anything because it's not the same as taking a Udemy course. So I think that's the biggest thing. I think what's interesting about boot camps is that they solve the like last mile problem. So a lot of online resources focus on the first mile and then people get lost bootcamps are really good at like people that already have some technical experience maybe they've kind of persevered and now they're just either need help with job search or maybe they're they just need some more help with learning some frameworks Bootcams are really good at helping those people get ready for the job search but then there's a whole area in between of people just feeling lost and that's kind of like where we see career karma helping them is putting them in accountability groups, helping them have a roadmap. Like what is your journey gonna look like over the next 12 months? And it's not a career karma journey. You're gonna speak to other people who just got jobs in tech, and they're gonna give you their roadmaps. So it's one of the things I think, I think the other component of that is also like information asymmetry. When people try to search for resources, what they don't realize is that it's very likely that the resource they're using, because that company had the biggest marketing budget. And a lot of people don't really understand how marketing in, in the bootcamp industry works, but we all know like if you go to someone's website, then you start getting retargeted by Facebook ads and things like that. So A lot of folks end up doing courses not based on the merits of the course not based on the outcomes but based on how big how what was the marketing budget for that school right and we we all know there's not a lot of correlation between who has the biggest marketing budget versus investing those resources in career help and and curriculum and so career karma also solves that issue that just someone who's starting out to code it's too easy to get overwhelmed and we give them that transparency and they could speak to any alumni in our network that will help them figure out the next
1: step. Yeah. And the only thing that I'll, I'll add to that is that some other nuances that people have is, you know, in the beginning of the boot camp industry, it was only full time. And that was usually about three months for the boot camp, about three months for the job search. Now you have part-time, you have self-paced boot camps, but I think the biggest innovation is online and self-paced, and part-time. Um, and the majority of people that are doing these boot camps are doing it online and part-time. Why? Because they are middle-class and lower-income. They're they're everyday people. They, they're parents. They're veterans. They have jobs. They need to put food on the table. And so in addition to a lot of the, the accountability things that we brought up, life happens. And so inside of the squad, if I'm in a group of moms, they can tell me how to manage my time way better than Archer Timo and I can because they're moms. They've been through it. If I am someone that has dealt with, you know, the nuances of how to communicate my job experience as a veteran, being with other veterans that know how to do that can do it way better than we do. So people can't be what they can't see, but they also learn from each other better they're in groups so that's what our app is currently doing
2: yeah and i think one thing to add to what ruben said is uh, when people think about software engineers like even the tech market they imagine silicon valley or new york or maybe chicago but in reality there's tech companies and there's uh, companies needing engineers all over the country and especially markets where which are not known for having software engineers like if let's say some food distributor is now trying to uh, like revamp their logistics system, where are they gonna find engineers to help them? They're gonna have to probably like contract and pay a huge price. Versus if there's a bootcamp in their city, they could potentially hire out of the boot camp maybe get some senior engineers and they could actually build it in-house to their the, the same way that amazon builds their own warehouses you know so uh, that's just a small example but most of career, career members are not from san francisco or new york they're from cities that a lot of the time i've never even heard about
1: yeah i mean we, we launched the app in january um, we have over twelve thousand people in the app, and the app reflects the world. You just go to the community tab and scroll through the people, and you will see um, it does not look like the tech industry. But we don't market ourselves that way. That's just what's coming. That's the natural demand that exists in the market.
0: There's a sophistication to the app that you guys have built, both in the engineering side of it and in the product side of it. And you know, I think both of those areas are, are things that I would like to explore. But I don't know if we have time. Just to make sure I understand this correctly, basically your, your go-to-market for, and I think this is instructive for anybody who, who hasn't built a company yet, but wants to build a company, your go-to-market was start with a media brand breaking into startups, basically because you yourselves were breaking into startups <laughs> and assessing the process by which people broke into startups, which included the boot camp process. So you started a media company around the thing you wanted to understand, because you didn't know what what other companies to start. From there, you had some ideas around a product and then you unabashedly used a low code product to build your first version, right? You used Bubble, right? That's a low code product. This is a sophisticated approach to building an MVP. I think I think I think there's not as many people who use that. I mean, I think low the low code thing is catching on. I'm surprised it hasn't caught on more. But then you validated your MVP and then you built a version in React Native. Uh, You're using GraphQL and the app is really nice. It's kind of a social network meets Netflix, meets podcast player, meets e commerce referral program, meets two sided marketplace connecting. Software engineer, prospective boot camp attendees to boot camps.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
2: So I think, <laughs> I think you're kind of like uh, pointing to the fact that what we're trying to tackle is actually a multidimensional problem. But what drives our product vision is our customer. Right. When we think about building new features, we think about how can we make our user more informed about making a decision about their careers. And that's where it all stems from. And then we try to imagine an experience, like use the beginner's mindset, like what would an experience be for a parent who doesn't even know what coding is? What should that interaction be like when they enter our app? And how do we explain what coding is to them in a way where it's something they're going to want to do and stick around? And it took a lot of experimentation. we probably iterated on this, like just on the onboarding experience or like your first day in the app so many
0: times that what was the worst idea that you guys had that you executed on, like, partially?
1: I mean, I think... I think we tried to introduce meetups early on yeah. before we had tested out everything yeah. and really built the interaction of people helping out, and that didn't really work That's for That's not me. so bad. But now, That's the worst I mean, idea think, you guys have had? Well, Come I, on. I
2: mean, I think even with the
1: app, like, I think it took
2: us a few months to realize that people that were downloading our app didn't know what coding was. Even though they were clicking on, like, an ad or... the like They were like hearing about tech and they were maybe they saw our webinar online because it's pretty popular on Instagram, but people would download the app. And then when we start speaking with them, because we actually, the first feature we built into our app was Messenger. And that was strategic because we realized that there's no way we're going to know what's going through their minds. And YC always talks about, speak to your users, speak to your users. So every time someone joins the app, they always get paired up with me. And then they also join groups with Ruben and Timor. So we're always... At their fingertips, and as a result, we kind of get first-hand experience, like what's going on. But we very quickly found out that people didn't know what coding
1: was. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think I think that's really in- a really important point because going back to you know the ads that people see online and marketing budgets, that thousands of boot camps are competing for the same hundreds of thousands of people applying every single month. You know, if your ad is just like learn how to code, but nobody knows what code is, or even what a software engineer is. They're going to be confused. And in the beginning, you know, we had this messenger app, app and we would talk to them and we would explain at what we normally do in three weeks through the 21 day challenge in one hour. And everybody was confused after so that's when we realized that we had to break that up in two days in little segments, so that we really understand the nuances and even the changes that are happening high level, not just with boot camps and education, but also the entire world. So we re- that I think that to that point, that's probably the biggest thing that we did is like that's break what
0: Journey the twenty one day challenge. Yeah, twenty one day challenge. So we broke it yeah. down into twenty
2: one steps that you need to get acceptance to top schools and. The funny thing is now, like, by the, by day 10, people get accepted to, like, three to five schools. But in the beginning, it used to take us 60 days or 90 days to get someone from signing up to getting accepted because we just didn't know what we were doing. But it goes back to, like, what Career Karma's long-term vision is. is helping people tackle their most important career decisions and we're starting with coding boot camps a lot of people when we explain to them like how passionate we are about this problem a lot of people kind of dismiss us saying well coding boot camps like how big is the market or why are you guys focused on coding like a lot of people kind of like used to laugh at us and still kind of dismiss us because they're like like this can be a, a big business but what they don't realize is that we're actually gonna solve the most important career decisions, starting with skill acquisition, helping them acquire their first job. And then from then on, we're going to help them make the most educated decisions about the rest of their careers. And we don't believe that LinkedIn is doing this or any of the job sites because those sites are targeted for people that already have the skills. Yeah.
1: And to to touch on that, if you think about the US alone, there's like over a trillion dollars spent on post-secondary training in the US staffing is a huge business, over $500 billion. Most of these staffing efforts are focused on the visible workforce, like people that went to college. But most of the working world is actually in the invisible workforce, like people that didn't go to college or have some college and no degree, might be working retail, might be working in truck driving and things like that. And so we've catered our product to these individuals to help them decide which bootcamp is best for them. But our North Star is helping them make a decision about their most important Uh, career decision. And once we get this right for coding boot camps, we'll expand to all the other skill sets that are adopting this type of model to prepare people for the future of work. And even if you hire the current people that are prepared for these high-skilled jobs, it's not enough to fill the open jobs. So companies are starting to increasingly build talent in addition to buying talent. And so we're well-positioned not just to cater the invisible workforce, but also the visible workforce and and have the world's largest community of people with in-demand skills.
0: Why is there pushback against the learn-to-code movement?
1: I think the reason why there's pushback is because is, do you mean like on the
2: journal? Like I know that like when BuzzFeed laid off a bunch of people, there was like a big yeah uh, meme going. Yeah, like, that's that's
0: what that I'm what referring, you're referring to? to. I don't know if that's actually real pushback or do people actually get offended when you say like learn to code?
1: Sometimes I think coding isn't for everybody, right? Like I'm not a software engineer, right? Me neither. Like and so we think that like non-technical roles are going to be bigger in the future of work, Agreed. just like it is today. Agree. Right? And there's roles that exist in technology that require skills that aren't being taught in college, and you gotta figure out where to get those. And so, to Archer's point, like the first decision that we're helping people make is which coding bootcamp is best for them, but then there's gonna be a bootcamp for sales, which there is, there was one in Y Combinator that was in ours, there's gonna be them for marketing, for data science, for product management, for all these other different things, and we actually see people embracing lifelong learning, where rather than going to one school and one job and doing that forever, you're going to see people doing tours of duty where they do a job for maybe two to four years. They go to multiple schools, multiple companies in a lifetime. And if you take a global perspective and the cost of education is going down, and I know we're going to talk about cost of education later, then the value of the network. So you brought up a network. We've built a social network of people helping people. And making decisions together and hold each other accountable. Are they accountable. actually?
0: They're, they're actually help, people are helping each other. Oh, oh yeah, hundred percent. That's great. If you go day. on,
2: uh, if you go on Twitter, and some of you, the listeners may have already seen this, and you look up twenty-one day CK challenge, you will literally see every five minutes someone tweeting about what they learned that day. And these, these are not folks that are like traditionally are perceived as techie or like super like on the like nerdier side. These are folks who are like maybe a month ago they were tweeting about makeup or some other like typical Twitter thing and now their entire timeline is filled with career karma tweets about learning HTML, CSS, wow. JavaScript. That's amazing. And we've actually looked very hard for other tech companies that have the same level of, I don't know, you, you call it stickiness or like yeah. the same level of like engagement and I mean sure there's companies that might have like one review or might get someone to make a tweet about them but we literally can't find a single company that has someone tweeting 21 days in a row and they're also tweeting they're doing like video documentary of their life and telling their friends that hey career karma changed my life and we're not like touting our own horn uh, we're literally well, well, I mean, we
0: talked about that in the last episode this is just how you feel when you find out that coding exists in the world?
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, but also like, Twitter was valuable in our life, right? So in the beginning, before we even had Bubble or a community or a podcast, the product was us, right? Twitter was more valuable to us than LinkedIn because I was sliding people's DMs all the time, <laughs> right? You know, and I I realized the imp- the power of tweeting. You see, some bootcamp founders they're tweeting all the time to get their voice yeah. out there, right? And so. <laughs> If you think about that, you know, less than 10% of people on Twitter tweet. And so if people on Twitter are – if we're growing Twitter accounts yeah. and Twitter growth hasn't gone super crazy over time and we're getting people actively tweeting about coding and their lifestyle, right. eventually CareerCon will shape public opinion on Twitter for yeah. tech. Huh. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, So do people – that are helping each other. So are they getting randomly paired with indi- or how are they getting arranged yeah. with each other? Swipe so right, have swipe s- left.
2: No. So chat roulette style. So we, w- we made it very like natural because we didn't want to prescribe people to like our algorithm says that you will be the best match with this person. What we did instead was just put them in a draft group of about a hundred people. And then- It's
0: 100 random people. Well, th- th- the
2: th- beginning. So basically 100 most recent joiners. So every 100 people will create a new draft group. And then we have Zoom calls every evening where people jump on. Zoom actually has a very cool feature where you could have breakout rooms. And then people just hop breakout room to breakout room, introducing themselves, hearing other people's stories. Someone might say, hey, I'm actually a DJ, but I wanna learn how to code because I have an idea for a music app. And then someone else will be like, oh, I love music too. And then they find that commonality and And they're like, let's create a squad for all the musicians out there who want to build, who want to learn how to code. And yeah, so that's crum- how it happens and uh, like we're trying to productize that aspect of like forming but I think for us it's gonna be more about enabling discovery allowing people to discover interest groups discover squads that might they might resonate with versus kind of like prescribing or the typical tech thing which is we're gonna use machine learning to create an algorithm that assesses you and perfectly tells you your best match you could still do that later yeah. potentially so, so but th-
1: this is how we think about it like you could think about the draft groups kind of like pick up basketball right it's like like, and, or like the first day of school, or chat right? roulette, or chat <laughs> like. You, 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 gonna, don't don't yeah. don't use that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't I use chat roulette. roulette. Like you're, you're like around all these people that you just met that are interested in coding, right? And. Over time, as you like start shooting around, start doing different of things, you're gonna start finding people that you click with yeah. a little bit more. and You can yeah. have your little cruises. So they start coming together. We have thought about quizzes. We could talk about the quiz. Don't talk about the quiz. No. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to productize it, but I think there's something beautiful quiz. about j-
1: Oh, so like Okie Cupid. Right now, we group people into like, like, people will group themselves in different ways. So, like, we're not prescribing it, but they'll group themselves by the school that they're doing or the location that they're in or their passion, like what you said with music. But at some point, you might see people grooving themselves based off of, you know, whether they have some, t- like they want to do things that are remote versus part-time or I won't go into the nuances of the quiz that we're thinking about. Yeah, there, I do think that data will help at some point, but it's not going to be the ultimate solution and the magic bullet. Yeah, and I
2: think that's something we learned uh, like in the, actually like building our company, building our app is sometimes th- some things are, just like simple and you don't want to overcomplicate things at least in the beginning. And YC tells us like, do things that don't scale. Right. And the reason they say it is that until like us founders, like we actually need to do every single thing first, observe it, get user feedback, iterate. And there's just so much to learn that we don't want to impose our worldview or like what Ruben and I think should be the algorithm for matching people. Instead, we're just like, Hey, let's put 20 people on a zoom call. Let's have them go around the room and kind of mirror what happens in, re- in real life at meetups or at events or, or yeah. dinners. Yeah. yeah.
1: What's your interaction with the boot camps? Good question. So now that we have a lot of volume coming through the app and we have a lot of people that want to do coding boot camps, all these boot camps have a lot of capacity to hire or to, to train a lot of students and they're doing a really great job of training them, but now that we're sending them all into the app, we're needing to build software for them to be able to handle the flow. So we're essentially creating software for the schools to be able to manage their applicant funnels where the individuals can apply to all the schools in one click. And then we, the schools can essentially apply to them versus the individuals applying to the schools. And we essentially handle all the pre-screening and nurturing and placing before so that they don't have to worry about them. Um, And and Archer can go into more detail about it. Yeah. I mean,
2: I think essentially it kind of goes back to our original point about like, what is our mission? What is is our North Star? And it's helping giving our users leverage. And you give people leverage in a couple of different ways. But usually like solving the information asymmetry and giving them the best information is one of them. And it's like with career comma it's pretty simple. They fill out an application which is very simplified. It's not like a college application where you have twenty questions. They just indicate what what they're interested in maybe a few questions about where they're located, things like that. And then we give them six to 10 offers from the bootcamps themselves. So it's a very similar model to TripleBot. I don't know if folks have heard, but it's a common app where bootcamps apply to students. And the advantage we see there is that everything is upfront. So you know what the terms are, you know what the conditions are, what you need to do to get accepted. To get fully accepted, because a lot of these are conditional acceptances. So instead of wasting your time with a school, and then after you get accepted, you find out that there is a $5,000 deposit that you didn't know about. And then the last three months kind of like were spent for nothing. You're going to see all of that up front. And since there's a little bit of a competitive environment, we're starting to see schools offer incentives like scholarships and stipends and housing. And And it really puts the ball, like it gives the candidates a big advantage because the best candidates that perform the best, that that are super committed, highly motivated, they're going to get the best deals. And so we think that this is the system that we wished we had when we were applying and the information is there. Like you could, the other really cool thing is when people get matched to these schools, you could see other people on the app Core currently in those schools, yeah. So there's and so like You could message proof. them. You could message them and say, "Hey, I see that you're in a prep program, or I see that you're Enrolled. in the school. What is your experience like?" And we're not gating any information. We're making it available because we want our users to succeed. Because the only way Career Karma becomes like a big business is if our student, if our users successfully find jobs and successfully make the best decisions about their careers.
1: Yeah. And so you know, you ask what the interaction is with the school. So during Y Combinator, you know, our main focus that will continue to be the focus is like really building this really powerful and special experience 11 star experience for career switchers but Now we're-
0: Sorry, did you say 11 star
1: experience? Yes, 11 star experience. (laughs) Yes, exactly, exactly. I'm glad that that you caught that. Yeah, you wanna (laughs) tell them what it's about. It's it's actually, there's a a master scale episode on on Airbnb, Reid Hoffman's thing. So he talks about how in the beginning with Airbnb, which is also a YC company, they wanted to focus on how do we give our users an 11 star experience? And so we did the same thing. So we, in the beginning, it was it was cool. It was, it was helpful. We got good feedback. But as we kept getting more and more feedback, now like we consistently get really high stars. And so we wanted to give them an 11 star experience. And so now that we've done that, we want to do the same thing on the bootcamp side and really build this two sided experience so that the boot camps see not just the value when someone gets enrolled but all the things that are happening beforehand all the value that they're getting all the insight that they that they could be having to to manage their funnels to help with retention to help with outcomes to save money save time and really sing our praises um and we're getting and, and we all growing together because at the end of the day like this future of work Thing, this workforce development thing is, is the economic issue of our time. It's when you cannot solve problems without people and talent. And so we feel very strongly and passionately about this. And so my time is over the next three months and over the next few months is gonna be really focused on uh, making sure that boot camps have that type of experience as well.
0: When I was in college, I was always looking for people to start side projects with. I couldn't find anybody, so I ended up working on projects by myself. And then when I started working in the software industry, I started to look for people who I could start a business with. And once again, I couldn't find anyone, so I started a business myself. And that's the podcast you're listening to. But since then, I've found people to work with on my hobbies and in my businesses. And working with other people is much more rewarding than working alone. That's why I started Find Collabs. Find Collabs is a place to find collaborators and build projects. On findcollabs.com, you can create new projects or join projects that are already going. There are topic chat rooms where you can find people who are working in areas that you're curious about, like cryptocurrencies or React or Kubernetes or Vue.js or whatever software topic you're curious about. And we now have GitHub integration, so it's easier than before to create a find Collabs project for your existing GitHub projects. If you've always wanted to work on side projects, or you want to find collaborators for your side projects, check out Find Collabs. I'm on there every day, and I'd love to see what you're building. I'd also love if you'd check out what I'm building. Maybe you'd be interested in working on it with me. Thanks for listening, and I hope you check out Find Collabs. We are all all three of us, pretty familiar with the burgeoning software media landscape, or software media technology media landscape. Give me your perspective on the software media landscape, as somebody, as two people who, and also Timur, who cannot be with us today, you guys have built a podcast, and you've kind of leveraged your different media channels into your business. So I think you built distribution before you built the product that you were building distribution for. So you deeply understand the distri- the importance of the distribution channel. Describe the software media landscape as you see it today.
1: Okay. I will give my perspective. I think before giving my perspective about the media landscape, I think you know when you think about big billion dollar tech companies there is no billion dollar tech business that has documented their story from the beginning to end all right so we have actually been documenting our story from the beginning and we'll continue documenting our story throughout and elevating the people that are users in career karma and the reason why we do that is it also kind of holds ourselves accountable like when somebody tweets saying that i'm going to become a software engineer this year you kind of like are putting that energy out into the universe and it's kind of like pushing you in that direction. And, you know, I think that uh, if you look at media before software took over, it was controlled by a few players, right? The TV stations, the radio stations, whoever is in charge of the media companies. What software has done is created citizen journalism, where... What's actually happening on the ground can be verified versus what's being said on the television, which is good. But at the same time, on the flip side, because there's so many people that are tweeting on social media or talking on social media, you can get proven guilty when you're innocent and you can get proven innocent when you're guilty, right? Because it's hard to verify facts. If you see a lot of retweets or a lot of likes, that actually becomes justification of truth, And that's a problem. So it's good to have the voice of people on the ground, but at the same time, you got to be, there's a silver lining, so you got to watch out for both. What we've realized when it comes to people whose intentions are good, wanting to solve problems, they do, they allocate a lot of dollars, a lot of resources, a lot of focus, a lot of talks, a lot of events towards solving homelessness or food or health or whatever, but very rarely do they actually have the individual that they're trying to support in the room, which is crazy to me, I'll take my perspective, because if you think about technologists, you're supposed to be talking to users, right? And so, for us, it's very important for the worker voice or whoever's problem that you want to solve to be in the room, and I think media, allows us to not just talk about them, but give them a platform because a lot of these individuals, even when they do become successful, they have to deal the barriers of entry to get a press journalist to cover them and things like that. So what we did with Breaking Startups and Career Karma is we established career contributor relationships with major publications. So we don't just write stories about ourselves. The other people that want to write their stories, they can amplify their voice through our media network. And you and I, we talked during the pre-chat about the power of networks, right? So you have a fantastic podcast. We started a podcast with other people that have podcasts in our niche, and yeah, we're different, but we're similar. Kind of like the Avengers, right? There's like, everybody has like, so if we come together, there's a lot of power in that. Because if I know that your community is strong and it's representing people's voices, and my community is strong and representing people's voices together, Can that's- Can I be Iron Man? You could be Iron Man. I'm. I'm cool with that. I'm cool with that. <laughs> you know. And so, like, that's essentially um, how I think about media. How do you think about media, yeah. project?
2: I mean, I don't really have any strong uh, macro views, but I, I do echo Ruben's like sentiment that uh, nowadays a lot of people kind of they're kind of fall into the hustle porn like mentality. Like they see people on Instagram working hard or people tweeting about how hard they work, even though why are you tweeting if you're working hard? I think that's an
0: oxymoron. I think if you're on Instagram and working hard, I think that is an oxymoron. Totally.
2: But I think the same thing with Twitter too. Like, if you're putting out these threads on advice to entrepreneurs or venture capitalists, all that stuff, like, why are you on Twitter? Shouldn't you be like helping founders or building your company? So I think that's kind of like, I think we look to take advice from people because it sounds good, the sound bites resonate with us. But in terms of actual impact on our life, we don't question that. I think I wish more people did that. But what I'm really like bullish and optimistic on is kind of like what Ruben and Timur and I did. We started documenting our journey. I think documenting versus creating has been the biggest shift. And I would attribute most of our like success to documenting our journey. Because a lot of people get obsessed with like, I'm going to create this amazing five-minute video. And I'm gonna put it out there and I'm gonna get thousands of views the next day. And we all know that doesn't work. And what we did was just, all right, we're gonna feature people that we find interesting. We're gonna document their stories. During the same process, we're gonna be fully transparent about our thoughts, our actions. We started like recording our journey, starting with a podcast. You can actually see like Snapchats and even yeah. Instagram stories from maybe 2015 or 16, just when we were starting out, we documented the whole Y Combinator journey of actually getting rejected from Y Combinator in April and then getting accepted again in December. And so we're being fully transparent with people because, hey, you could be fascinated with Elon Musk, but like to be realistic, Elon Musk is like just completely out there. We want to show folks that, hey, like, we were just regular people like you who worked really hard. And we weren't doing it because we wanted to like impress someone with our abilities. We we're just saying, "Hey, we're not special, we're not different than you are, but look, there's all these opportunities for the taking there's dollar bills. there's million dollar bills on the sidewalks. We've been picking it up. You all should be doing the same thing and yeah, that's, yeah. And, that's and, how we've been doing it
1: and, and similar to that, like if you think about the media landscape, right, a lot of people they want to be superstars because they want to be famous, they want to make a lot of money, right. But if you're starting a podcast or a YouTube channel or whatever just to be famous, that's not going to be what's going to allow you to pick up the million dollar check on the sidewalk. You got to figure out like what's unique about you. What We are all, like Iron Man has a superpower. All these people have different superpowers. Storm has a superpower. Wolverine, everybody has different superpowers. And so like, figure out what your niche is that you're going to cover, that you're going to support, but and also realize that once you pick a niche, you can learn a lot of things that you don't know. So through our podcast, when we don't know things, we interview other people that know more about it than us. And through interviewing them, we learn, we get an education, but our listeners also get an education. And I think that's super, super powerful and super, super valuable because if you think about who actually has the power and who actually, like a lot of people think it's money. The people that have the power are the people who have attention, right? Having attention of certain audiences demand different types of dollar amounts. If you want, and dollar amounts are just like what people think. It's a, rep- it's a representation of value to whoever's giving you that money, right? So as you're thinking about the community and the niche that you're focused on, like if you pick something that's unique to you that only five people are gonna listen to, then maybe you're not gonna have a big market there. But if you think about, like, all these people that are trying to find a job and don't know where to go that's outside of college that need a niche and, like, don't have the money for it and need to figure out all these different things, that's probably a big market. So, like, talk about it. And there's literally, like, millions and millions of ideas like this. Don't worry if people think it's weird. Everything is insane until it becomes obvious. So,
0: Guys, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for having us, it. Jeff.
0: Podsheets is an open-source podcast hosting platform. We are building Podsheets with the learnings from Software Engineering Daily, and our goal is to be the best place to host and monetize your podcast. If you've been thinking about starting a podcast, check out Podsheets.com. We believe the best solution to podcasting will be open-source, and we had a previous episode of Software Engineering Daily where we discussed the open-source vision of for podsheets. We're in the early days of podcasting and there's never been a better time to start a podcast. We will help you through the hurdles of starting a podcast on Podsheets. And we're already working on tools to help you with the complex process of finding advertisers for your podcast and working with the ads in your podcast. These are problems that we have encountered in software engineering daily. We know them intimately. And we would love to help you get started with your podcast. You can check out podsheets.com to get started as a podcaster today. Podcasting is as easy as blogging. If you've written a blog post, you can start a podcast. We'll help you through the process. And you can reach us at any time by emailing help at podsheets.com. We also have multiple other ways of getting in touch on Podsheets. Podsheets is an open-source podcast hosting platform. And I hope you start a podcast because I'm still running out of content to listen to. Start a podcast on Podsheets.com.
2: Wow.